I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast, not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, defending World Series champion Cubs. Hello, I'm Ken. Uh, you might know me on Twitter as RiceCube. Uh, with me is my compatriot, Andy, also known as Behind the Ivy. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for hanging out. Like, we had a very busy week, both uh, Cubs-wise and personally. Like, I have a lot more free time than I thought I did because I just got laid off. So yeah, that, man, that's thoughts. Well, yeah, that's the uh, reality these days. Nobody wants to pay for education, so I can't educate kids because they don't want to pay for me. But I'll, I'll land on my feet, and I'm pretty sure the Cubs will too. Uh, today, I think what we'll do is we'll talk about, you know, just uh, various Cubs, like, you know, Kyle Schwarber, because you wrote a blog about Schwarber's uh, struggles. Uh, we can talk about the other Cubs that are currently struggling as well, just trying to get out of that funk. Uh, the MLB draft was earlier this week. I thought, thought the Cubs had a solid draft, so we could d- dig into that. And finally, the pitching, specifically uh, Friday night starter, Eddie Butler. How's that for a plan? I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. Hey, it works for me. Let's do it. As the spring gave away to summer, Past the ivy-colored dreams Toward the days that kept us yearning for Right, so we got uh, Mr. Kyle Schorber batting cleanup. No, he's not cleaning up. He's third uh, Friday nights behind Anthony Rizzo, who's been leading off, and Ian Happ, who's you know still up here trying to adjust to major league pitching. Apparently... You know, they decide, well, since he's basically destroying AAA pitching, there's no reason for him to go back down there. He's just got to adjust on the fly. So we got several guys to talk about. Like, basically, all of Cubs Twitter is kind of mad at the Cubs right now because they're just slightly below 500. They have a chance to get to 500 tonight, which is Friday, but uh, in a little bit of trouble right now. Yeah, um, one of the things that kind of striking about tonight's game that I think is a little bit of a microcosm of the season so far. It's just how bad the at-bats look. I know when this gets released, it's not going to be timely, but, you know, Chris Bryant just had a pinch hit at-bat in the seventh inning where he swings at three pitches out of the strike zone and strikes out. And that's something that the 2016 Cubs didn't do a whole lot of, swinging at pitches out of the zone and either striking out or swinging at pitches out of the strike zone and and making weak contact where they're not putting the ball in play in a manner where they're likely to get hits. And, you know, that's what contributes a lot to the 210 with runners in scoring position and, you know, a lot of the offensive struggles that we've seen this year. Yeah, so once upon a time, I think the uh... – after he was traded, uh, Jeff Samar just said that this was a feast or famine offense. And, you know, every now and then you see something like that. But that was also in concert with guys just hitting it on, on a line, hitting into the gap, hitting the ball hard. 
And I don't know if it's like a combination of shifting against the Cubs because they have certain tendencies. They don't want to go the other way. They don't want to just make contact. They want to swing for the fences or whatnot. But, yeah, you're seeing a lot of just swinging at bad pitches. They're pressing again. And that's, you know, for lack of a better word, it's kind of depressing for us to see because we know that they can be good. And we keep harping on this. They are good. They are very talented, but they're just uh, pressing a little bit too much right now. Yeah, um, as Albert Almora strikes out on a pitch in the left-handed batter's box to make my point even more salient for me. Um, you know, one of the things that, that has come out on the Cubs, the book is out there, that they can be had on fastballs up in the zone and out of the zone. And we've seen that a lot this season. Another thing we've seen is uh, in regard with to your Jeff Samarja feast or famine comment is that the Cubs are reliant on hitting the ball out of the ballpark. They have three runs tonight on a wild pitch and a two-run double, but you know overall the offense has been really, really reliant on the home run ball lately, and a lot of those home runs are are solo home runs because they're not getting on base. Last year. The Cubs weren't a feast or famine offense. They were very disciplined. They took their walks, and they still are. But they were disciplined in the strike zone, and when they were swinging, they were getting pitches to hit, and they were putting them in places where they were more likely to fall in, whereas this year they are swinging more out of the zone, and they are making a lot of weak contact, and it is hurting their offense overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we started talking about uh, the young Cubs, particularly Cal Schwarber, who basically this is his second full season, or will be, assuming he stays healthy. And there, there was like some really funny stat where he hadn't hit a single in over a month because every time he he like rarely got a hit, it was a home run or a double or something like that. Uh, yeah, um, that, I kind of ignored that when I wrote about Kyle last week because it didn't really fit into my point where he struggles in in later counts. But it is true that, you know, Kyle has been very much feast or famine, and he's struck out a lot. And most of those are on pitches out of the zone. So when he has been getting them in the zone, he's crushed them, which is what Kyle does. But he's gotten himself out a lot, too, and hasn't really put himself in a position to run the bases. Right. And... You know, we keep harping on youth, and eventually that's not going to be an excuse anymore. But uh, I, I think Joe Madden even said in a postgame presser uh, after they had lost to the Mets that, you know, they're, they're young. They're trying to do a little bit too much. You just got to keep being patient with them because, you know, these are the guys that you're bringing with you into October if they make it there. And I should, shouldn't say if because the odds are still very high that the Cubs are going to win the division just based on what I see on fan graphs and other other odds-making pages, like, you know, Baseball Perspective has their odds. Uh, I'm sure, you know, behind the, Beyond the Box Score and all the uh, kinds of other sites have their odds. But, you know, we pretty much know that this Cubs team, if they ever snap out of the funk, are the most likely uh, National League Central champions. And it's just, well... What better year than after you win the World Series for these guys who have already had a taste of the playoffs and, you know, they've had success in the playoffs, they've had success in the regular season in the past. 
of course, they're going to struggle because nowadays front offices are packed to the brim with people who can analyze numbers and very excellent scouts. They're going to see how to exploit weaknesses, and I just see a lot of bats, you know, swinging above or below balls that obviously should be crushed. Like, it's easy for me and you to say that because we're just sitting on, in our chairs looking at the game uh, on TV, but obviously it looks a hell of a lot different when you're standing in the box. And so they're not picking up the balls right, and uh, they're also not putting the barrel of the, the bat onto the ball and generating the kind of power that you'd like to see. They're popping it up or they're slamming it into the ground. Youth is a big reason. Look, for a lot of guys, like Kyle Schwarber, this is his first full season. He came up towards the middle of 2015. Uh, he missed basically all of last year. You know, he's only had 130-something games in as a major league player. So it's it's not really a surprise that there's that the book is out on him and he's got to readjust. But even, like, your Addison Russell, this is his second full season, although we think, you know, it feels like he basically played a full season in 2015. And same one thing with Chris Bryant and, you know, Javi Baez was kind of up and down in 14-15, so this is really his second full season. So we're seeing a lot of guys, you know, Albert Almora, his first full season, seeing a lot of guys try to figure it out and, and readjust after the league adjusted to them. And it's not always linear, which is what Theo Epstein has repeatedly told us. And I think we're seeing a lot of that right now, where the young guys who had a ton of success, obviously, with an NLCS run in 2015, winning the World Series last year, coming out of the box this year, the league has figured them out some. So it's their it's their process now where they need to figure it out back and you know go back to the process that got them to the playoffs last year. I'm not necessarily worried about the Cubs making the playoffs. There's almost a certainty that they will. You know, we still have 94 games, I believe, 95 games. Yeah, it's that's quite a bit. Part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of baseball left to be played, and there's a lot of time for these Cubs to figure it out. And these Cubs have overcome adversity. Obviously, when you win the World Series, you've got to do that. So I don't have any real worry about them figuring it out or not figuring it out. They just need to keep playing and keep working on the process and really improve the quality of their at-bats because that's one of the places where they're, they've really struggled as an offense. Yeah, I, I don't think the word for me is worry. I, I think it's more I'm annoyed because I know they're better than this. So it's just a matter of time through this last, say, 96 or so games for them to figure out what, what they're going to do. And I, I guess another thing that we should probably address is the pitching, the fact that, you know, the rotation is not pulling their weight, the stressing out the bullpen. I think we harped on this the previous couple of seasons because that's been happening, like, at various points. And I think that happens to every team. Like, every team goes into a lull, and you just don't know when during the 162 games this lull is going to happen, right? So uh, they're stressing out the bullpen. The bullpen's not being as sharp, and eventually it's going to catch up with them. And then at some point, all the starters are going to click again, and you you don't know. Like, you know, John Lackey's giving up an inordinate number of home runs. Some of that is bad luck, and some of that is the fact that he's not throwing 90 miles an hour anymore, and he's leaving these hanging meatballs up in the zone. 
So I, I felt like, well, yeah, of course it's going to get crushed. Another reason might be, hey, uh, I, I don't know if you read that article uh, by Rob Arthur and MGL, but they have some empirical evidence that the balls might actually be juiced uh, starting from the second half of 2015. So, you know, that cu coupled with the fact that you're hanging pitches and the fact that the ball is juiced, of course, you're going to give up more home runs and it's going to look a lot worse than it actually is. Well, if the ball was juiced in 2015, then the ball was juiced in 2016 when the Cubs rotation was dominant. True. So I don't, I don't really put a lot of stock in, in the juiced ball theory as much as I put stock in. The Cubs pitching just hasn't been as good. And over the last week or so, I really thought about it. And did the Cubs make a strategic error when they decided to back off in spring training and not ramp their starting pitchers up to be ready in April and, and allow them to build through April and to be ready later in the season? I right. wonder if that caused them to get off on a slow start. And then you know, once you're pitching in games that count and you're not pitching well, then you start to press and things snowball. So I wonder if an alternate strategy would have been to ramp them up, get them ready to go, and then try to get them rest throughout the season a little more artificially, adding that sixth starter with Mike Montgomery getting starts or Eddie Butler or you know, they've got Alec Mills and some other guys, or maybe get another pitcher in there to to maximize rest in season to get them ready for October and have them rolling as opposed to trying to ramp them up to pitch in meaningful games while they're pitching in actually meaningful games. Right. Now, I'm kind of glad you talked about Mike Montgomery and uh... – he, he was supposed to be the piggyback partner for Eddie Butler, and now Kyle Hendricks is hurt. So both those guys are in the rotation. Uh, I, I think we had a little exchange before we started this about, about uh, Eddie Butler and how he doesn't really miss bets. And I get the philosophy that he's a pitch-to-contact guy, but he's also a pitch-to-contact guy that sometimes loses command, and so is, uh, and, and in a way, Mike Montgomery. So you got two almost pitched to contact guys. I think Montgomery has a fairly good uh, strikeout rate, but he also walks a lot of guys. Eddie Butler doesn't strike out a lot of guys at all. So you're going to be relying on a defense that isn't as good as last year. But, you know, I, I'm rolling with a train of thought here, but you're just kind of trying to compare this team to a historical juggernaut from last year. Like last year is very unlikely to happen ever again. So it's like an unfair comparison. So I think we, we got spoiled, and now we're trying to see everything through the eyes of last year's glory. Yeah, and it's, it's hard to overstate just how well everything went for the 2016 Cubs. They had pretty solid health throughout the season. They played tremendously well all season. You know, they didn't really have much adversity with the exception of that stretch between Memorial Day and the All-Star break where they only had one day off. But you obviously saw where the lack of rest took a toll. Otherwise, they really went through the season unchallenged, so much so that they could go back to playing a spring training brand of baseball in September because they were so far ahead. So when you look at the 2017 Cubs, who are now 
a game under 500, threatening to fall two games under, you know, not pitching well. The defense has been up and down, although the defense has gotten better lately. Uh, the starting pitching, not quite to what it was. The bullpen's been very good. And then the offense, which I think everybody expected to at least perform at a, a high level, even if things went poorly. You know, some of those things haven't added up. And this team, they really haven't yet been able to stack success, which is something I think we all thought the Cubs would do. And in a mediocre to poor division, you know, be able to walk away with it and and walk into the playoffs fairly uncontested. And that still may happen. There's still a lot of baseball left to be played. But through the first 66, nothing's come easy. Right. Yeah. And uh, I I guess because of the fact that the top part of the rotation, not named John Lester, isn't producing as well, uh, the two other guys like Lackey and Arietta are struggling, and you don't have a lot of depth in the minors right now to replace an Eddie Butler or a Mike Montgomery. It, it's really tough, and I, I guess that's a good segue into what they're trying to do in the MLB draft. Uh, for the longest time, uh, ever since basically they've uh, come up uh, as the new front office, Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer, and Jason McLeod have been trying to address pitching through volume. Yeah, and they definitely did that again this year, where they, I think they selected like 30 pitchers in the draft, but for the first time we saw them go pitching in the first round, which I think I was surprised to see them select two pitchers in the first round. I thought they would look for a bat if one was available. And maybe that would have been the plan, but the board shook out differently. As it stands, they got two guys who, if they can develop third pitches, you know, a change-up to go with solid fastballs and really, really great curveballs, you know, they could have found themselves a couple of starting pitchers that could take place in the rotation along with guys like Dylan Cease. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the coming years when – you know, Chris Bryant, Madison Russell, and Kyle Schwarber start getting a little more expensive through arbitration. Right. So I did a little tally. Uh, we have 21 right-handed pitchers, four lefties, a catcher, nine infielders, and six outfielders. I'm not really worried about the uh, position guys, but the 25 pitchers that they selected are, you know, at the very least projectable, you know? So I felt like they had a fairly solid draft despite having to pick last in every round. Yeah, and, you know, this is the, that's the kind of thing you expect from this front office where they're going to go and they're they're going to do their work and they're going to get guys that, that have some talent and some value and that they're, they have traits that can be worked. You know, we won't know the true quality of this draft until, you know, two, three, four years down the road, especially with baseball where, it takes so much time for these guys to to actually appear. But at you know, at the moment it looks like they at least got some guys with some, some high floors at the back or at the front of the draft where, you know, even if they don't end up in the rotation, they could still end up as pretty high leverage relievers. Right. I, I do think they're they're gonna try to develop at least some of them into starters. They they almost have to because while the farm system is still stacked to the you know, stacked pretty well. There's only so many guys I could trade, and I, I guess uh, next week we'll talk about uh, trade 
trade assets, uh, trade targets, and whatnot. But there's only so much they can trade away to get their pitching. They got to develop some in house. Yeah, and I think I think we're starting to see that that kind of trend in the Cubs farm system with like Dylan Cease and uh, Jose Alberto's and Adbert Alzale, who very well could get traded this summer. And then, of course, they're going to develop all these guys that they picked as starting pitchers. I think my point was more that if these guys flame out as starters, they do have the stuff to to present good options at the back of a bullpen later on. And that's kind of the way the Cubs build their bullpens, through through guys who prove that they probably shouldn't start. Yeah, they're doing it by basically volume. So as long as they set up, I guess the floor is different for a reliever versus a starter, but they have a high floor so that the floor is a solid reliever. And so they can keep their bullpen uh, relatively cheap as, you know, more and more guys, like you said, are going into arbitration. Uh, they're going to get more expensive. So let's make sure that we use our resources wisely. Let's uh, shore up the bullpen through volume, and then we'll throw our resources towards the core uh, position guys we want to keep, plus whoever uh, we can sign in free agency. Yeah, and I think that's kind of this front office's approach to building the, the pitching staff. They will, they've shown that they are more willing to buy pitching and trade for talented arms that maybe haven't had the success in the organization they've started in that you would have liked. You know, buy low type arms like the Jake Arietta's that they could develop. Now, not everybody's going to turn into Jake Arietta where he wins a Cy Young. But, you know, Eddie Butler, who looks like he could be a serviceable back-of-the-rotation starter, or Alec Mills, who we haven't seen a whole lot of yet, even at the AAA level, but a, a talented guy who, who could make some hay in the Cubs rotation down the line or, and then at least serve as some depth. Is then, Alec Mills, uh, is he hurt? Uh, I believe he spent some time on the DL. I know that I know that he hasn't pitched a lot this year. But, I mean, that's still a talented arm, and, you know, to give up a Donnie DeWeese for him, and that's obviously a, a legitimate prospect, but he's a guy who spent most of last year in low A, so you're not really feeling a ton of pain. Right. So I was looking at the, the draft tracker uh, for the Cubs, and it seemed like in the late rounds, like past round 10, where you, you don't no longer lose slots or anything if you don't sign a player. They started taking some uh, really tough signs. They were just like, well, you know, we got our guys. We know we can probably sign them. We got, like, you know, a couple of seniors. And uh, in the eighth or ninth round, they picked the guy from MIT who, you know, really smacked the ball around in the Cape Cod League. But he's probably an underslot. So they, they worked their underslot plan pretty well. But now they have you know, a couple of really interesting sleepers who are probably still going to go to college, but at least they cultivated a few relationships with with uh, the player and their families. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I thought their 32nd round pick, Hunter Ruth, that's a guy who, who he, he appeared to be a top-of-the-draft kind of guy. He had Tommy John surgery, uh, obviously very talented. So he's somebody that if they do manage to sign, they get somebody – really late in the draft with a really high upside 
Right. And I, I guess the idea is, well, maybe you do want to redshirt at your college commitment, but maybe you feel more comfortable rehabbing at our state-of-the-art of facilities as a as a professional baseball player. And then it's just a matter of, well, how much above the 125,000 hard slot can you afford, you know, before uh, you start going over the 5% penalty? It's, like, really weird how they decided to do this because uh, with the new last two CBAs, they just can't splurge on amateur players anymore. They, they're not allowed to just because of the uh, ridiculous penalties that you incur if you do. But uh, $125,000 is like a down payment. It, it, it is a house in some states. So it, it's, not, uh, it's not a laughable chunk of change. But at the same time, if he is as talented as you th- say, we say or we've read he is, then he's probably looking at high six figures or even low seven figures. And it, it's kind of hard to determine like what their intent is. I don't recall when the signing deadline is. I wanted to say mid-July. But, uh, yeah, they basically have a month to try to convince some of these kids to forego their their college commitment to him and become a cop. Well, I will say that $125,000 is a lot of money, and especially for – especially for a kid like Ruth, who, you know, he's had Tommy John surgery. It's a really big gamble to turn down $125,000 and then to rehab as a professional to go to a college setting. And if things don't pan out, he may not get drafted again, or maybe doesn't get drafted as highly, or, you know, there are a whole lot of scenarios that play out in three years of college. So for a young man like that, there's, there's a lot of upside in taking what the Cubs had to offer or will have to offer him and rehabbing as a professional, getting paid, granted not a lot as a minor league player, but still, you know, getting some money, rehabbing as a professional, getting developed as a professional, as opposed to trying to go to college and maybe risking all of that. And I'm just saying, like, a lot of uh, really major reaches. And uh, if you follow Wes Saver on Twitter, he's actually tracking a lot of the Twitter conversations for many of the Cubs draft picks. And a lot of them really appreciated the fact that they had an organization like the Cubs interested in them. Obviously, it's a big deal. They just won the World Series, and they're considered one of the better organizations in baseball now. Uh, you got a guy like Bryce Bonin, who's ranked 74th on baseball or MLB's uh, top 200 list, and he's going to Arkansas, but obviously it it helps, you know. They really appreciate the fact that somebody really liked them enough to risk uh, splurging over their slots to get them. And, you know, it's not like they're going to secure their services right now, but three years down the line, they're more likely to want to sign uh, at or below slot, I feel like. Well, coming out as a junior, you're not as likely to sign below slot. And to me, it's always a gamble for these high school kids to to go to college after they get drafted. I mean, unless you're a guy who who is a surefire top three or four round pick in three years, you know, getting picked in the 24th round by the Cubs, that might actually 
be a good thing. And a lot of these, a lot of these players do sign. Uh, Bonin's probably going to Arkansas. A lot of these players are going to sign just to develop as professionals. So we'll we'll see how it shakes out with with who they manage to sign and and who decides to to go to college. Let's uh, start talking about a few of these because they are very interesting. Like a lot of them have good velocity. They, you know, they they have the general thing uh, that you don't see as much in the top, say, the top ten picks in in the first round. They have, you know, some command issues. They haven't developed that third pitch yet, uh, but they have little flashes of brilliance that make you think, oh, yeah, we can totally develop that into something serviceable, like, uh, say, a Brandon Little. So you can read his his little blurb. Uh, he's got 97 miles an hour as a lefty. That is, like super coveted at the major league level if he can continue that and get some command. Yeah, um, I think I tweeted it on draft night that lefties who throw 95 don't grow on trees. And that's that's really true about Little. You know, he's a guy who throws hard, has a hammer curveball, and if he develops that third pitch, they probably got a steal at the 27th overall pick in the draft. You know, same same thing kind of with Lang. I was actually surprised to see him available at number 30. So, you know, at least right now it looks like the Cubs did very well and they're at least at the top. And, yeah, every player who gets drafted at at least has some projectable trait unless they're, you know, like the manager's son, I think. You know, they picked Rustin Swaim when Dale was around and, and, you know, like these manager's kids. I think the Angels picked Mike Sosha's kid you know, a few years ago in like the 38th or 39th round. So these, you know, otherwise a lot of players get, you know, they have a projectable trait. You know, they throw 98 miles an hour. They just have no idea where it's going. And if they could dial that in, you know, that's a player that you can do something with. Yeah, kind of uh, interested. It, I, I don't know anything about these guys except for what I'm reading because obviously I'm not a scout. I do this basically as a hobby, right? But uh, when you said, hey, Alex Lang actually slipped to the Cubs at number 30. This is the pick, by the way, that they got for uh, losing Dexter Fowler to free agency. He's throwing 92 to 96. He's pitching for LSU, which is a power uh, baseball program led them basically to the 2015 College World Series. I don't think they won that year. Uh, I'd have to check, but uh, that's still a really big deal. Uh, you know, and he's ranked number 23 on the top 200, and they got him at 30. Like, most of us probably thought they were going to pick one of the toolsy middle infielders, but they got another pitcher, and if they can sign him, it, it sounds like he has like a, a few bad habits that probably dropped the stock quite a bit, but I almost feel like they were prepared to take, uh, say, a Nick Allen or something, uh, a shortstop or a catcher, and then this guy fell into their lap, and they're like, right, you know what, we can't resist this, and we already pretty much know that a guy like Brendan Little is going to sign for under slot probably. So let's just uh, throw a pick at this guy. And this front office is such that, you know, like very rarely, except for maybe the Astros and the Blue Jays uh, a couple of years ago, very rarely do you see a, 
a top pick not get signed because they're losing so much slot money. So I feel like the Cubs are pretty confident they can sign these two guys plus probably uh, Jeremiah Estrada in, uh, in round six. Like his slot isn't as much, but they're they're not going to waste whatever little slot money they have. They they know they want to sign most of these guys. I think that the Cubs do a a tremendous job of trusting their board. That's how they ended up with Kyle Schwarber with the fourth overall pick. You know, it's how they got Ian Happ at number nine when Andrew Benintendi was selected by the Red Sox just above them. You know, the Cubs, at least this this front office, do a tremendous job of trusting their board, trusting the what their scouts have told them, trusting the video, trusting the numbers, and then making value judgments on whether they can sign the guys. And, you know, the first-round picks, it's really rare now to see them not sign because, you know, if Lang does go back to LSU next year or if Brendan Little, you know, decides to pitch, I believe he's got another year of college eligibility and could could pitch again. You know, Brendan Little was not a first-round pick early in this process, and he's really – you know, over his with his performance at the Cape League last year, and then this spring, he really elevated himself into that first round. If he were to go back next spring and not pitch well, you know, he'd be losing a lot of money. And you know, the same with Lang, where if he were to go back to LSU and not pitch well, he'd be losing a lot of money. Yeah, it's like a two million dollar slots, a little over two million, almost two and a half for each of them. Like that doesn't drop that much between twenty seven and thirty. So. That is basically retirement money for most of us. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see them getting little below slot to some degree, and then I would act, I would expect Lang to sign for about his slot value, and then they could throw some of that that savings on little, and I, I believe they got a couple of seniors later in right. in the first ten rounds where there is no leverage, and they're pretty much going to sign what the Cubs are offering. Yeah. So I I feel like the number eight guy, the third baseman, Austin Fillier from MIT, like if they don't sign him, like he is some kind of business or math or some economics major. He's obviously good with numbers and they just recruited themselves a new front office guy. (laughs) But uh, he apparently like started smacking the ball around all over the place and, in uh, the Cape Cod League, and allegedly, just from what I'm reading, he's like the greatest baseball player in MIT history, which you might think, well, it's not saying a lot, but, you know, some of these kids can actually play, and even though it's Division Three, I, I think the fact that it is Division Three will drop his slot quite a bit. Like, that slot in the eighth round, I think, is a little below three... 250,000. So he's going to be able to save them like, you know, maybe a hundred thousand or so by, by signing. Yeah. But they still get us pretty solid player. Uh, yeah. I, I think if you can play a major league team's going to find you, if they are able to sign the young man from MIT and, you know, save some money that they can throw at other players, you know, that's, it's something they've shown a real propensity to do. They did it in 14 so well where they were able to get uh, Steel, Sands, and Cease in the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds. Yeah, that was great. This front office has shown a real strong ability to manipulate 
you know, who they can sign, who they can save money on and, you know, make headway with other talented players. You know, we'll see how this process shakes out with this draft. You know, at the moment, it it looks solid. We'll see how it shakes out over the next few years as these young men develop in, in the system. But it wouldn't at all surprise me to see Little or Lang in a Cubs uniform trying to help before the end of next year in a bullpen role. And if they show they can start to have an accelerated timeline and we see them by 2019. Yeah, that would be pretty sweet because uh, after this year, obviously, the Cubs will lose at least two pitchers to free agency and possibly might have to uh, replace another couple, depending on how Mike Montgomery and uh, Eddie Butler shake out. Yeah, and, you know, Mike Montgomery is – Mike Montgomery's got the ability to start. He's got the stuff. He's got the pitches. He's got the build to be able to handle that kind of workload. It just feels like we're waiting for, waiting to give him that opportunity, waiting for him to have that opportunity. Uh, Eddie Butler, you know, it's it's kind of up and down for him so far, but we're not more than a handful of starts into his Cubs career, so it's probably a little early to to write him off. And then obviously with the upcoming free agent class, Otani possibly coming over from Japan, like the Cubs have options next year. And frankly, if Jake Arrieta keeps throwing the way he's throwing, we may see him back on a Dexter Fowler-like prove-it deal. All right. Uh, I'm just shaking my fist in the air because Wilson Contreras had a pretty good at-bet right now. Um, let, but we, we got to stay on the draft for just a moment because we come back to the fact that this Cubs team is kind of struggling, but thankfully it's a mediocre di- position. Uh, or a division, because we might be able to get the best of several worlds. We get the fact that these Cubs can't right the ship and get into the playoffs, but they aren't so good record-wise that they got to pick last. Maybe they pick like 20th or 21st, depending on how the American League shakes up and depending on how uh, how the National League playoff field shakes out because uh, right now uh, I read somewhere and I haven't checked yet, but uh, there, there are that many teams in the NL above 500 right now. And so if the Cubs can sneak into like the first or second wild card spot or even, you know, win the division, because it's very unlikely that any wild card is going to come out of a division, not named the NL West this year just based on how they're playing right now. And, of course, a lot of things can change, but I'm thinking of a situation where the Cubs sneak into the playoffs as, like, say, a 2006 Cardinals team where they won 83 games and yet won the World Series. And so they won the World Series, they got ultimate glory, and they got the pick a lot higher than what, say, a really good team would have been able to pick at in the draft. So that that would help them restock some of their uh, miners' talents because we kind of expect them, and we'll talk about this later on next week, we kind of expect the Cubs to empty some of their inventory in order to get some pitching this summer. Oh, yeah, and that's what the draft is for. That's what international free agency is for. The Cubs do as good a job as any team in baseball in, in finding guys in international free agency. Like, like we didn't hear a lot about – Adbert Azale when he was signed, but now he's 
a really legitimate prospect in the system. You know, the kind kind of the same thing with Jose Alberto's that you know, guys who you know, they didn't come with a lot of fanfare, but they've they show they've got some real value as prospects. The draft, it it's important to keep that farm system stock to build your major league team and to to move pieces. So they're in a good spot with their system considering all they've graduated and all they've moved lately as far as picking you know in the late teens i don't think we're ever going to see that or you know picking 20th versus 25th 28th 30th i'm not sure all of that really matters i think when you have a good scouting department and you build a strong draft board you know, the difference between picking 24th and 28th, for example, it's not that big a deal. It's going through the process of identifying good players and players who fit fit your organization's philosophy and you know, ultimately what what would be ideal is for the Cubs to, to win as many regular season games as possible to ensure they get into the playoffs where, you know, anything could actually happen. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like this team benefits from scoring first, so I don't mind them batting first uh, and having a couple extra road games, uh, uh, especially when the World Series is now based on home field advantage and not the All-Star game. Now you can stick Schwarber in the DH spot and all that. But uh, that's looking way ahead in the future. What I think uh, draft-wise I'm worried about is the money because of just the way that CBA is set up. They don't want teams to just openly splurge on on the amateurs. Uh, they don't want them to go way above slot or anything like that. So the positioning actually has like several advantages. You have more money to spend, and you have the first pick of you know the few elite players that are available each year in the draft. And, you know, it's way too early to really talk about this because the draft kind of changes. Like, uh, player stocks rise and fall very, very quickly depending on, you know, the scouting, their performance in the college regular season and their high school regular seasons and so on. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's just uh, for me, I want to see them position themselves as well as possible in the draft because I know that uh, in this particular window of contention they're never going to be able to draft in the top half of the draft anymore that it's just not possible if they're gonna like we hope and we kind of expect that they're gonna keep making the playoffs for several years in a row before they have to do a little retooling yeah and i think that's well first of all the new cba did a nice job of kind of expanding the money pool to the back half of the first half so it's not such a ridiculous divide between you know, the, the first three to four picks and, like, the bottom three to four picks in the first round. So there is a little more money in, in those picks. And the other part of that is that's the value of the current front office, where they understand the system and the rules in which they're playing, and they understand the ways in which they can exploit those, even if it means, you know, trying to exploit it or position themselves as well as they can in spite of picking, you know, 25th, 26th, 27th, you know, somewhere in that range. The beauty and the history in this cathedral The sky so blue against the grass so green Like time stood still for
I feel like uh, the Cubs have actually turned this around. This is a very interesting podcast that we had. We're doing this in the middle of a Cubs game. It's a division game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, right now, you know, I don't know how much – because uh, once upon a time when Mauricio and Ben and I did this together, he told me that we're not supposed to tell too much about the game because, you know, MLB says express written consent and all that jazz. But uh, we're not really spoiling that much. Um, we're seeing a lot of good at-bats being strung together. Like, I think it's important, again, to emphasize that this team is not struggling for lack of trying. Like, this is their job. They do this for a living. I don't think anybody is lackadaisical. I don't think they are have a lack of heart for obvious reasons because this is the same team that won the darn World Series being down 3-1. to one. And so we're starting to see that we, we talked about this in the podcast, but they're taking their reps in-game. They are adjusting in-game. They are you know, looking at video, they're getting a lot of input from scouts in the front office and and their own coaching and each other. I, I don't think this team hates each other. They're not at the beer and chicken stage yet. They obviously have a lot of fun because, like, when we looked at the last uh, series against the Mets, like when Anthony Rizzo, even after game, said, Hey, I am the statistically the greatest leadoff hitter of all time, leading off a game anyway, and things things like that. I really enjoyed the fact that they are keeping it loose because right now, this is game number 66. They have 96 to go. So they have plenty of time to figure this out. And so that's, that's why I appreciate the fact that we have a really – calm manager they just have the right attitude like they know that they're good they they know that they're pressing a little bit and obviously they don't want to do well but they're not freaking out about it and that kind of calms me as a Cubs fan yeah it's definitely not an effort issue I, I don't think I've even seen that in in the Twitter sphere where the even the most irrational people have have their opportunity to get into the echo chamber. I don't think it's an effort issue at all. I think if anything, it's, you know, some of these guys are trying too hard to make the, or have the big hit, you know, make the big, you know, make the big pitch. Uh, but, you know, your point is, is really, really well received and the demeanor of this team from, you know, from Theo Epstein all the way down through, know the bottom of the order or the bottom of the roster it is a bunch of guys who who remain calm who understand the game who are who play hard who don't panic and you know we saw that last year on on several occasions in the playoffs you know overcoming the three-run deficit in game four in san francisco getting shut out back to back against the dodgers and falling down two to one winning that series in six games, falling down three to one in the world series to the Indians, winning that series in seven games. You know, there is a lot of calm about this roster and this team, and it is the same general cast of characters. It's one of the reasons why I'm not terribly concerned about the way this season has gone. You know, they've shown the ability to, to stay with it, and when they get going, they're really, really good. And they have a lot of time to get going yet. And 
they haven't dug themselves that five, six, seven game hole that you would expect a team that's a game under 500 to maybe have at this point in the season. So in some ways, they've they've had some luck with the way other teams have played in their division while they're trying to while they try to work through their struggles. On the other side of that, they're also very good. So there's there's time to to right the ship and they have the the pieces in place from the front office all the way down through the roster to do that. Yeah, and the thing with baseball is uh, we're looking at Every game, every even every at-bat is a different situation, and they can adjust on the fly. And over a long period of time, over a long period of games, like we we have to look at the entire 162. And so every time they put out an article, like, you know, they've turned the corner. No, they haven't. Uh, you know, why aren't they trying? That, that kind of really irks me because I realized – after many years of experience, like just studying baseball, it, it's one of those games that you you have to look at on a macro scale. And obviously, you you sometimes cannot afford uh, to do that if you're a general manager, because at some point you have to determine whether to buy or sell. But uh, we haven't gotten to that point yet. And so we are looking at, for example, uh, Addison Russell striking out uh, – Albert Memora doing the same thing. Uh, we, we talked about this earlier in the pod, podcast, and now we see that Addison Russell has put together a very good at-bat. He barreled the ball, and now a couple runs scored, and that that is awesome. Yeah, uh, Addison's actually been swinging the ball a lot better starting last Sunday against Colorado with the home run and the pinch. Um, he, had, he had the home run in in New York. He actually hit that the other way. That was really nice to see because when Addy is swinging the ball, he's he's gap to gap, but he really drives that ball to right center field and and the other way. You know, seeing him barrel that up, and especially seeing him barrel it up tonight late in the game after going 0 for 4, having some really bad looking at bats. You know, that's that's a positive sign where maybe Addison Russell is starting to to break out of what's ailed him a little bit early in the season. Anthony Rizzo has been absolutely red hot going through this last, you know, since he, since he got engaged, he's been on fire. (laughs) Uh, He's, uh, he's getting some good, good vibes from the missus, I guess. Um, Kyle Schwarber is actually, you know, starting to pick it up a little bit. I saw earlier today that he's hitting, you know, 250, you know, his slash line is, is 250, 376 something since yeah. I think the begin, since like the beginning of June, obviously a really small sample, but for a guy that's hitting a buck 80, you know, that's, that's, that's what you want to see, you know, that, that kind of come up an improvement. And frankly, Kyle Schwarber is a guy who's probably not going to hit more than 260 or so in the batting average line. And if he hits 260, his on base is probably going to be 380. So, you know, those are the kinds of things. You know, we're starting to see that turn around a little bit. So I, I just kind of imagine Kyle as a 250, 350, like, you know, 480 slug kind of guy. And for 
that that kind of player, you you take that just about every day. Obviously, would love to for him to hit like Babe Ruth, but you know, not very many people can, and that's why Babe Ruth is legendary, right? But uh, you know, like all these guys, they seem to be able to bust out their slump at any time. Like Hayward is hitting league average, which is a lot better than he was last year when he was atrocious. And you know, obviously, with the amount that he's being paid, uh, you, you'd want him to hit like a superstar, but he gives you so much more everywhere else. And today, I, I think he was able to keep Eddie Butler from giving up even more runs because of the, the way he played defense in right field today. To me, his contract was totally worth it last year when he was a a bad offensive player. And it didn't really matter that Jason Hayward was a bad offensive player last year because the rest of the offense was so consistent and it picked him up. They didn't need him to be good. This year where, you know, where he's a little more Jason Hayward-like, and I think I think people expected him to be the Jason Hayward that they saw in St. Louis where he hits 290. And, you know, that's never really been Jason Hayward. If Jason Hayward hits between 260 and 270, He's going to take his walks. He'll hit with a little bit of power. I mean, not a ton, but some. And he's going to play absolutely lights-out stellar right field defense and then carry that over with, you know, being a great leader in the clubhouse, being a being a veteran guy who, who these younger guys can look at as far as work ethic. You know, that's that's really the kind of guy that they need. Because Jason Hayward signed the biggest contract in Cubs history, and he could have phoned it in last year when things weren't going well, but you never heard anything but that he's still the hardest-working guy on the roster, and he didn't really need to be. Right. For me, I think as long as we see that they are trying their best, they are doing their best on the field. They're trying to improve their offense. They obviously have to make their pitches, and the rotation has to step up. But I feel pretty confident about these guys that uh, they they will step up. And right now uh, we went from, you know, in one game, we went from, oh, my God, woe is me, to, okay, well, this is pretty much what we expect. And so this is a microcosm of what the season's going to look like. There's going to be times when they look like pure crap, and there's going to be times when they resemble the team that we know and love from last year. And I think that's a good way to end this podcast uh, so that we can enjoy the rest of this Cubs game. Uh, I'd like to thank you for your insight again on the draft and on the players, Andy. Uh, Just tell them where they can find you, sir. I'm on Twitter at at behind underscore the underscore Ivy. And I should have a piece sometime over this weekend, right around the time this podcast drops on potential starting pitching trade targets that the Cubs could look at both as rentals and potentially as long-term plays. All right, that sounds exciting. I look forward to seeing that. Uh, you can find me, of course, at Cubic Snarconia. Um, Ken, also known as Rice Cube. Ben is uh, 
obviously engaged. Uh, he's going to get married in a couple of months, and he also just moved in. So he gave me a bunch of bobbleheads. And next time we do this, we'll have a special guest star who, to whom I will have to give one of those bobbleheads. You can find Ben at the official World Series Dreaming Twitter at WSDreaming underscore Cubs. You can find us and Andy's blog at WorldSeriesDreaming.com. We are on Facebook and, again, on Twitter at WSDreaming underscore Cubs. You know, we, we kind of do this as a hobby. We do it for free. We'd love some feedback. So if you ever have a question or comment, comment on the blog. You can uh, email us at WorldSeriesDreaming at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes. And uh, any parting words, sir? No, uh, hopefully the Cubs can finish out this game after an exciting top of the ninth. And I look forward to talking to you again next week yep. or the week after. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens because, uh, you know, I do have to do a job search. And I got a couple leads, so I don't expect to be out of work for long. And, uh, you know, just like the Cubs, I have a very optimistic outlook on life. And I think that's the best attitude to have in this day and age yeah good luck with the job search appreciate that sir all right well thank you again for listening to the world series dreaming dreamcast go cubs it was more than just a game